0: us on twitter at voice america trn get the lowdown on guests new shows and your favorites that's VoiceAmericaTRN. trn
1: the following program is being brought to you on the voice america health and wellness channel
0: About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm your guest host today. I'm filling in for our host, Kim Tebeldo. My name is Linda House, Executive Vice President of External Affairs at the Cancer Support Community. The Wellness Community and Gildas Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are offered at more than 100 locations worldwide and also online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. Welcome to today's show. Today's show is brought to you in part by Morphotech, Eli Lilly & Company, and Celgene. Today we'll be talking about the role tissue sampling can and does play in the cancer continuum. This show will delve deeper into our Part 1 series on the topic. Part 1 focused on tissue sampling, why it's important, how it's been effective in cancer research as well as prevention, and how one might participate in donating tissue. As we learned in the first installment on this topic, tissue collection is one of the most important elements to the advancement of both clinical research and treatment. Today we'll be focusing on on a program that is actually using tissue samples in research and understand a little better about the process of that and how it's being used to advance modern medicine. Our guests will also give our listeners information about how to donate tissue themselves, particularly if you're in their area, and as we learned on the first show, that researchers collect samples of people living with cancer, their families, and also disease-free individuals, which is incredibly important to to advancing science. So joining us today is the esteemed esteemed Dr. Stephen Edge. Dr. Edge is the immediate past chair of the American College of Surgeons Commission on Cancer. Dr. Edge is a surgical oncologist and the El Foundation Endowed Chair in Breast Oncology at Roswell Park Cancer Institute in Buffalo, New York. He serves as chair of the Commission on Cancer of the American College of Surgeons Immediate past chair, I'm sorry. In addition, he serves on the executive committee of the board of the National Comprehensive Cancer Network. His research focus is in developing methods to monitor and improve community-wide quality care. Thanks so much for being here, Dr. Edge.
2: Well, thank you very much.
0: We're also here today with Dr. Carl Morrison. Dr. Morrison joined the faculty of Roswell Park Cancer Institute in January of 2007, and is currently the Executive Director for the Center for Personalized Medicine, Director of the Pathology Resource Network, Director of Molecular Pathology, and Program Member in Cancer Genetics. Dr. Morrison is a very busy board-certified pathologist who has an interest in both clinical and research areas. Welcome also to the show, Dr. Morrison.
3: Thank you very much for having me today.
0: As I mentioned earlier, today's show is all about tissue collection, specifically focusing on donations made from living individuals. Many may not realize the importance of this type of collection to their own health and also to the future well-being of others. If you are having an upcoming surgery, if you have a specific type of cancer that could have tissue removed for research, or a family member of someone with cancer, or even a healthy volunteer, you might qualify to help. Remember, tissue donation is as simple as drawing blood or agreeing to a mouth swab. Today we'll be talking about how tissue collection is conducted and give our listeners applicable information on how to participate. We'll also be looking at why this is so important and the research being done with the donated samples. Our guests will also discuss the future of collection and where we hope this type of research will take us. So we have a lot to talk about today, gentlemen. um, If we could just jump in, and Dr. Edge, if you could just remind our listeners, when we're talking about tissue collection, what are we really talking about, and how is that tissue used?
2: Well, we're talking about um, a number of different uh, ways of collecting cheap you know, body materials that may be used for both clinical diagnostic purposes as well as research purposes. Um, we may be talking about to, uh, blood samples from which a variety of different uh, components can be taken, including the Um, liquid components with um, uh, proteins and other factors in them, the cell components of it, the white blood cells, which can be used to isolate the genetic material of the human, of the person. Uh, We may be talking about doing smears from the lining of the mouth where genetic material can be isolated from. Uh, We may also be talking about using... Um, tissues that are removed at the time of surgery for a treatment of a cancer. Um, in most such cases, there, are, uh, when an entire tumor is removed, um, the amount of material that is actually used to determine the exact type and extent of that cancer is much less than the total amount of the tumor that's removed. And it is very much advantageous for uh, people to allow that extra tissue that's removed to be used for research purposes. So I think those are the most important components of a tissue collection. Um, mm-hmm. It's un- uncommon that people will have a some kind of a surgical procedure to remove tissue solely, to have surgery solely for the purpose of a research study, though that's not completely unheard of. Mm-hmm.
0: So, so if I understand you correctly, it sounds like um, a, a number of us have had some sort of tissue collection just in our normal um, health checkups, whether it be a lab test or it be um, a pap smear or, you know, one of those type of tests would essentially be tissue collection?
2: Well, well, certainly when you have a diagnostic test such as a pap smear, a small amount of your tissues are taken and smeared on a slide to screen to see if you have cervical cancer. Now, in that case, most likely there would not be extra tissue that would be available for research purposes, all of the material would be used for diagnostic purposes. And since the reason you had the test done was to determine if you have cervical cancer, it would be inappropriate to divert some of that for research. On the other hand, if you've had an operation for, let's say, a breast cancer, um, the cancer may be an inch across and the majority of that tissue uh, will not be needed to make all the determinations about your care and treatment and the majority of that tissue could be used for research purposes but only if the pathology laboratory and the surgeons and those processing your tissue are are um, uh, prepared to use that tissue for research and you, the patient, has signed uh, an appropriate consent and given permission for such use and I'm sure we're going to be talking about that later in the show.
0: Mm-hmm. Great, thank you. Dr. Morrison, could you comment a little um, on what Dr. Edge has just alluded to, which is um, a collection of tissue specifically for research purposes, and just give us a couple of examples of the types of research that that might be done, or what researchers might be using that tissue for?
3: Yes, and yeah, you know, I did want to clarify there that you know that when most of the time when people are talking about tissue collection, they're talking about samples that are collected for research and not samples that are collected for clinical purposes. That's, uh, that's generally inherent within the procedure for clinical purposes itself. And to, you know, really talk on specific, um, you know, type of collections, it, most academic centers, particularly, you know, academic cancer centers in the United States, you find two basic type of collections. One is for blood, which generally... Includes as many or more normal volunteer people than it does cancer patients, <clears throat> and then from tissue collections you you generally see is people collecting specimens of cancer,
0: okay, okay. Now, what about um, healthy tissue? You know, in full disclosure, I'll let you know that I am a healthy volunteer in the, um, the, the Komen Tissue Bank at the IU Cancer Center for Healthy Breast Tissue. So um, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm obviously focused in that particular program, but I don't know if, that's, that, that if it's normal that, that there are a number of tissue banks collecting normal tissue.
3: Well, to collect any tissue, you require the patient's consent, okay?
4: Mm -hmm. And
3: in the vast majority of all instances of tissue collection, that Mm -hmm. tissue is collected as what we refer to as remnant tissue collection. In other words, Mm -hmm. it's leftover. It's not going to be used for other purposes. So invariably in all of these, quote, quote, collections of tissue, whether it's normal tissue or diseased tissue, the patient is going into the hospital or the doctor's office for some procedure related to a problem that they have, whether it be, it could be even a cosmetic correction, okay? <laughs> but if there's tissue left over and it's not used, it can be generated for research purposes. But in many ways, other than for cosmetic procedures, there really is very little collection of, quote, quote, normal tissue. Mm-hmm. Because even patients who have disease, if you take the tissue that, that's adjacent to the diseased tissue, there's no guarantee that
2: that is really normal tissue. Mm-hmm. Okay. But, uh, but I think, uh, uh, and Dr. Morrison can tell me if he disagrees, um, one area where we can get normal tissue samples uh, from which you can study the, gene- the genes of normal people, people who have no evidence of a disease, is from blood samples. In other yeah. words, we can get their blood and get their genetic material um, uh, just from that blood. And, in fact, we at Roswell Park have a major program uh, from which we are uh, getting blood samples from many normal individuals.
0: Okay. And, and, I, and I definitely want, we've got just a couple minutes till break, so I want to touch on uh, one more thing, and then I definitely want to come right back after break and, and hear about the program at Roswell at Roswell Park. So, so just to recap for the listeners, so we are talking about um, taking samples from living individuals, we are talking about things as simple as a blood draw to as as more challenging as a a tissue collection that might be through, let's say, a biopsy or if a tumor is removed. Um, Is there any person who, you know, would or wouldn't be um, a good candidate to, to donating tissue if they were able to?
2: No. Um, no, I agree with Steve. But we'll, it, it, we take all comers. I mean, specifically, if somebody's having cancer surgery, I'm, uh, uh, it's a shame that that uh, there's tissues not used. In fact, it's a, it's a crying shame that the majority of cancer operations in the United States, um, the, uh, there is no tissue harvested. And we lose all that information, though, as I said earlier, it does require quite a lot of coordination and investment on the part of the institution to do that tissue harvesting.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Okay, so let's take a quick break, and then after the break, we will come right back and, and learn more about the program that, that you have at Roswell Park. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We'll be right back. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN.
1: Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle coworkers' questions how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world,
5: or call 617-733-5848. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
1: You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community.
0: Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's show is brought to you in part by Bristol-Myers Squibb and AstraZeneca. I'm your guest host today, standing in for Kim Tebaldo. My name is Linda House, and today I'm joined by Dr. Stephen Edge, the immediate past chair of the American College of Surgeons Commission on Cancer, and Dr. Carl Morrison, executive director of the Cancer for Personalized Medicine at the Roswell Cancer Institute. We've just heard from our guests information about tissue, tissue sampling, who is eligible, who might not be eligible, how it's done, um, how it's collected, you know, we would like to really take some time now and focus on a program actually collecting tissue. So I'd like to learn more about what it is that you're doing, how you're reaching patients, and what you're, um, what you're doing with that, that research. So Dr. Morrison, how about if we start with you? Could you spend a little time talking about your program?
3: Sure. At Roswell Park, we have two main uh, programs that collect tissue. One being uh, a program called Tissue Procurement in the Pathology Resource Network, and another program that collects blood in a, in a program called the Data Bank and Bio Repository, or DBBR. Both of these. Um, Services work together to achieve the first step of any tissue collection, and that is consent of the patients. And consent of the patients uh, to be involved in research is probably the most complex part of all of tissue collection. And at Roswell Park, uh, we try to follow the model of universal. Consent, universal consent, meaning that everyone that walks in the door, we hope at some point during their journey through Roswell Park, they will get asked to participate in tissue collection. Um, sometimes a small percentage, it's usually it's less than 5%, say no, and their um, their tissue is not collected. But for the most part, 90 to 95% of all of our patients say yes.
0: That's impressive.
3: Yes, it shows the uh, effort of all of the community, how they engage Roswell Park. Roswell Park is fairly unique among um, cancer centers and hospitals, that it has very, very, very strong community um, support. In fact, some of our tissue collections go toward national initiatives, stuff like mm-hmm. something that's called the Cancer Genome Atlas at the NCI, mm-hmm. at the National mm-hmm. Cancer Institute. And while we are one of the smaller cancer centers in the United States, or what I would refer to as an nCI designated comprehensive cancer center, we were still number six across the nation in submission of samples to this to the biggest initiative that the National Cancer Institute has ever has ever accomplished, and you could not do this without community support. If people did not come in the door and want to be a part of this process, it could not happen.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, how do people learn about your program? You know, do they do they come to you and then they're educated on this as an option, or do you do community outreach or education ahead of time so that by the time they hit your doors, they've already been sensitized to the information?
3: All of the all of the above. When we know a new patient's coming into Roswell Park, uh, when their packet of information goes out about Roswell Park and what they expect when they get here, there's a. a a a brochure in there about tissue collection at Roswell Park and how to be involved and what it could mean to you and your family and the community and so forth. And then we actually also have a a community outreach program that really focuses much on disparities and minorities because they seem to be more difficult to reach and involve in tissue collection. But we actually have a bus. You know, a tissue collection bus that goes out into the community and collect bloods and consents people right on the street. So that's a that's a very unique thing at Roswell Park and something we've really focused on in the last year or so. So,
0: so would you, um, you know, either you or or Dr. Edge say a little bit more about that community outreach and and, and the bus in particular? You know, when you think about um, issues or di- uh, disparities between. Age, gender, race, ethnicity—you know—any of those factors, you know—have you been able to to sort of mitigate the the, the risks or the gaps?
3: I think we've made a headway, but I mean, if you look at most tissue collections in the United States, the majority of them are middle-aged white males, they, mm. and and white females too. And they tend to uh, they tend to be more engaged in the research process for whatever the various reasons are, and that is you know. Not the optimal model of research, and uh I'm sure Dr. Edge can inform us about all the processes we do in the clinics to try to correct this
2: inadequacy. Well, you know, I think um, Carl uh, um, brought up the issue that we have this uh, blood collection program, um, which is really quite unique and quite remarkable. Uh, Starting about, oh, seven or eight years ago under the leadership of uh, um, uh, Dr. Christine Ambrosone, one of the research uh, epidemiologists here at Roswell Park, we began this effort to approach pretty much everyone having surgery at Roswell Park for cancer to allow at the time when they have bloods drawn for their preoperative planning to allow um, two extra tubes of blood to be drawn and then to have the back room work to respond very quickly and have samples of that blood frozen in liquid nitrogen so that it's completely stable within 30 minutes of it coming out of the body so that it's really fresh and very useful tissue. Um, we had uh, we have very few people who say no, so that over the last, what, seven or eight years, we have now samples on probably 2,800 women who've had breast cancer surgery. I think that is one of the largest resources of genetic material and blood samples on um, people with breast cancer in the United States or in the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is coupled with a very detailed questionnaire about cancer risk factors uh, and um, other lifestyle issues um, uh, through a very detailed questionnaire. Uh, And that program also collects, uh, is able to collect tissue on people who've not had cancer. And under Dr. Morrison's program of the Personalized Medicine Institute that's Work is being expanded to include people in the community, so that we have we have this, these blood samples on as diverse a population of people as possible. It's mm-hmm. it is quite it is quite unique. I, I can't say that the other cancer centers aren't doing similar work, but it is quite remarkable the number of samples we have that are now being used on a myriad of uh, research studies. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think either Dr. Morrison and I could even cite all the research studies that have been doing on it. There's a, so there's 2,800 yeah. breast cancers and what, 14,000 people total? Yeah. Like I that. mean, our tissue collection at
3: Roswell Park, I have some exact numbers here because I just, in the last few months, calculated them up, but we have something like 400,000 specimens from something like 20-some thousand people. It's, it's enormous, the number of people that have contributed.
0: Wow, that's impressive. So so spend a little time um, talking about, and I know, Dr. Edge, I don't want to put you on the spot and and make you list all of the the research projects, but, you know, give our listeners just a flavor of of what you do at Roswell Park with that tissue, and then I'm going to come back to you, Dr. Morrison, about the NCI and the Cancer Genome Atlas, um, either in this segment or the next segment, Um, so give you a chance to think about that.
2: Well, let's see. Specific studies. Well, there's been a published study on the uh, potential role of vitamin D in breast cancer risk that was Mm -hmm. uh, uh, published. uh, uh, That was about a year ago. I'd have a hard time exactly citing the exact results. So uh, if you look under my name, I'm an author. um, You'll find it in in the national literature, but I'm not going to cite the results because I'll probably be wrong. Right. Um, there are numerous scientists studying the different molecular um, uh, markers in uh, serum on uh, both breast and other types of cancers. Um, uh, there are studies that are being done here and in conjunction with collaborators of Dr. Amberzoni's trying to understand um, uh, uh, the. Um, uh, breast cancer in different uh, people of different races and ethnicities, and looking at the different uh, um, molecular um, markers along the uh, along the genome that that characterize uh, risk for cancer in these different populations. Um, mm-hmm. uh, as I said, there's just, there's more than any either of us could cite off the top of our heads. And of course, one of the um, uh, we have uh, uh, we have studies using the uh, mm-hmm. tissue from the um, many, many studies using the uh, tissue from surgically removed tumors so that people can actually study the cancers themselves. Uh, Dr. Morrison, a number of years ago through his pathology laboratories, took those tissues and made a very um, detailed uh, set of uh, uh, tissues that could be used to study hundreds of cancers at the same time and in collaboration, particularly in breast cancer, we provided the clinical information that we reviewed from the medical records to attach to those so that scientists would have the information on the clinical information about the patients and and how well they fared. Uh, I would hasten to add, of course, that in all of these, uh, there's two uh, very important uh, issues. One is that all such research studies have separately been carefully reviewed by a uh, independent institutional review board that approves research studies. And one of the key things that that um, review board does is assure that the researchers uh, have uh, all the appropriate steps and protections in place to protect the privacy of the individual so that no, in this research study, no individual person can ever be identified. I always like to tell patients, the study you may have, the scientist who's doing the research may be living next door to you, but there is no way that they will ever know that they have your sample. Mm-hmm.
0: Because of all the protections that are are in place. Because of
2: all the protections. And um, any research, any organization that's harvesting tissue for any purpose in this kind of way in the United States must have such protections in place. And I would encourage your listeners to ask about them. But if they're going to a reputable cancer center that's doing this work and they're signing an appropriate consent form to allow it, they can pretty much rest assured that people are taking every step possible to protect their privacy. Mm
0: -hmm. And I think this might now be a a good point to just mention, as we're talking about clinical research and consent, that if someone chooses to enter into a research study and they choose to um, leave that research study, they have the full right, right to do that. They just need to, to alert their physician to that, to that desire.
2: Absolutely.
3: Right. Yes, and, if, and if, in any consent that's approved today, if you read the consent, there will be a paragraph in there that even tells you who to contact
2: in case you want to withdraw from the research. And Dr. Morrison's data system can then flag and say, nope, can't use those tissues anymore. So mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. So it sounds like there's a lot of protections for people who, who, who might be a little bit nervous about this. But um, we will come back after this commercial break and talk more about why people would want to become interested. I
2: would just add before you do your commercial break, yeah. 95% of the people in our breast center say, well, of course, I'll let my blood be used.
0: Yes. We're going to come right back to that after the commercial break, and I want to expand upon that just um, a little more. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer, talking about clinical research and tissue collection, and we'll be right back after this commercial break. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or
5: twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia, Cancer Care Care the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. All
0: I'm Nick Nicolaides, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Communities' Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company Azi are committed to human healthcare, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants
3: in the healthcare process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day.
5: Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness.
0: Today's show is brought to you in part by Millennium and Genentech. I'm your guest host today, standing in for Kim Tebaldo. My name is Linda House, and I'm joined today by Dr. Stephen Edge, who is a surgical oncologist at Roswell Park Cancer Center and the immediate past chair of the American College of Surgeons Commission on Cancer. And we're also joined by Dr. Carl Morrison, who is the executive director of the Center for Personalized Medicine at the Roswell Cancer Institute. We're talking about why tissue collection is important and how individuals can get involved. And we left the last segment with Dr. Edge, you talking about um, your statistic that 95% of the people that come to your cancer center freely donate their their tissue. And um, I'm wondering if you could just say more about that. You know, what motivates them to do that? Um, You know, I mean, that's an incredible statistic.
2: Well, when you explain, to me, it only takes a few minutes to explain to people that this is tissue that there's going to be taken from them anyway, and, um, or it's just an extra tube of blood when they're having their blood drawn anyway, and um, uh, their privacy is protected, and that doesn't hurt them in any way. Most people are delighted. They say, of course, I want to do something that's going to help people in the future. All it takes is a minute or two to explain that to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, m- most people are good people and don't want to do these things. It's... Um, once when, when it's explained to the majority of people, I mean, the very, very few people say no. So,
0: yeah, um, it, it seems like it's easier and and less mysterious than sort of the perception is initially.
2: Mm-hmm. But yeah, but you you do have to take you do have to take a couple of minutes and explain why why it's being done. Mhm. Mhm.
0: Can you speak, Dr. Morrison, um, a little bit more about, about your particular program? And I know that you mentioned that you are a part of the NCI Cancer Genome Atlas. So, maybe step back and just tell our listeners a little about the NCI project and how you, you know, feed into that resource and, um, you know, what is either being studied there or what outcomes are coming from from there?
3: Yeah, so at the end of sequencing of the normal human genome project in about 1995, the National Cancer Institute made the decision that the next, you know, major national project that they would take on would be to sequence the cancer genome. And this really started in earnest in about 2005 or 6, and when they started organizing this, and it's really been full steam ahead the past three to four years. And this is the largest initiative that the National Cancer Institute has ever taken on as a single project. And the overall mission and goal of the Cancer Genome Atlas Research Network is to take every uh, tumor of a specific type, such as breast cancer or colon cancer or lung cancer, and collect as many of the highest-quality samples they can collect around the United States and even the world, for that matter. And then to take these samples and take them through various laboratories to do these very sophisticated, what's called high-throughput genomic technology. So they they do these things called sequencing, stuff called gene expression profiling. But it's all the state-of-the-art stuff you would do today to... Characterize a particular cancer, and you know, and, and why is it unique that uh, you know we're doing this on a national basis? Is because no one person could ever do this on their own. The the budget for the uh, TCGA is almost three hundred million dollars per year, so it has to be a national initiative. Um, it's there is a competing international initiative called the International Genomic Consortium. But uh, the National Initiative in the United States has really flourished under this, and they have now completed the characterization of, of a, a very deadly brain tumor called glioblastoma, uh,
5: mm-hmm.
3: lung cancer and ovarian cancer, or one variant of lung cancer. And in the next few months, they will finish the characterization of, of bladder cancer, of kidney cancer, another variant of lung cancer, and basically... Once they publish the uh, first set of data, this kind of lays the groundwork for what the future of of, of study of that type of cancer is. And all this data is also um, put out there on websites for reuse by investigators and researchers. But it's just a real, it's a whole new way of what they call community research projects. It's a different way of doing research and what we've uh, we've been accustomed to before and when they call it a community resource project, it really means community because if you didn't engage the community to get the tissues, this process would be it would never get started.
4: hmm
0: hmm So for the for for the lay public, when you're talking about um, sequencing and you know, I I think about it as sort of cataloging, um, you know, sort of organizing maybe the the order of Genes, or sort of cataloging certain characteristics that are seen in the tissue, and then researchers can use that as a comparison against against others, or to identify an abnormal, you know, an abnormal overexpression of a protein or something. Is that generally?
3: Yeah, it's it's a little more complicated than that, but basically, you can say that you know, cancer is a disease of genes. Mm-hmm. And in our body, uh, all of our cells uh, have a substance in them called DNA. Um, Mm -hmm. Probably all of our listeners have heard of the word DNA before, but it's that you know it's that's what really makes us a person is DNA. That's what makes each of us a unique person. What's the difference between one person's DNA and another DNA and another person's DNA? But cancer is a disease of DNA, Mm -hmm. and DNA makes up things called genes. Mm-hmm. If you take DNA and start organizing it in a specific way, you get genes. And genes are what, when you look at someone and see a person and see what they physically look like, whether they have red hair or black hair or blue eyes or they're tall or they're short or they're heavy or they're thin, mm-hmm. that is determined by your genes. And in the same regard, when you get cancer, it's determined by your genes. Mm-hmm. So to study these genes on a, on a huge initiative like this from you know, thousands of patients is what you really require to start finding those individual answers as to why, 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 what it, what is cancer.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like from the types of cancer that you mentioned that they are targeting some of the really aggressive or tougher to treat cancers. So we we hope that they find answers very soon.
3: Yes, they are targeting the twenty most common cancers to start with.
0: Mm-hmm. Edge, could you just give um, some perspective? You know, tissue is a very scarce resource, and you know it sounds like you have an abundance of of tissue at your facility and enough so to share to share with others. But how do other researchers gain access to your tissue or gain access to um, other tissue resources for their particular um, research?
2: Well, um, while you say we have an abundance of tissue, uh, we have many of these blood samples that are available, and uh, mm-hmm. outside researchers primarily would access them by collaboration with people here at Roswell Park. Um, they are not made. Generally, they are not advertised and Given to other researchers, we have a large financial investment among other things in, in collecting them,
4: mm-hmm.
2: um, and we don't sell people samples. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, but they, but if people have a project, if they know about our tissue resource and/or have read about them in other papers and wish to do so, the scientists here are delighted to collaborate. I mean, science has become much more of a national international community, and with the internet and easy telephone communication and, and FedEx, you can have um, collaborations that cross state and international boundaries very easily. Um, but then when you talk about the actually, though it sounds like we have an abundance of tumor tissue for available, um, there isn't all that much in abundance. We use a fair amount of it with our researchers or it's shared with the TCGA or or other groups and uh, we, we're always um, struggling to to make sure we use make the most efficient use of what is actually quite a limited resource. Mm-hmm. Carl, do you have anything to add to those comments? No, I mean
3: it's a scarce resource. I mean it's uh, you just can't imagine how precious it is and how you know how much it's needed for research and uh, the amount of huge amount of effort it takes to 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 put together tissue collections and then to maintain them and you have to understand that these are not renewable resources. Uh, You know, you collect something that gets used uh, basically in our banks. About every about what we collect every three what we collect gets spent about every three years. So we're constantly, you know, trying to keep adding to that bank and grow it, but it's also constantly going out the other end. mm
0: mm-hmm. Which is why it's so important for for those who are who are entering their journey or healthy healthy um, individuals to to help replenish that to continue to allow you to to have the tools that you need to make an impact on this disease. Well,
2: I think it's important for your listeners to recognize that this is really important, that we are not going to unlock the secrets of cancer and many other diseases without these kind of tissue procurement programs. Mm -hmm. And it's expensive. Mm-hmm. The people who do the work in Dr. Morrison's lab and the people, the, the nurses who help collect this and the doctors who do this uh, are, are paid salaries. And um, there are resources in terms of freezer space in the laboratories. That, and, and these tissue bankings are things that require funding. This is why we need to have research funding through the federal government for these purposes. Mm -hmm. This is not something we can trust to the pharmaceutical industry. Not that there aren't good researchers in the pharmaceutical industry, but we simply can't trust it to private industry. This has to be something that is supported by the federal government. And of course, quite frankly, the NIH is under the gun right now, just as many other federal agencies are with the uh, recent sequester.
4: Right. This right.
2: is—it's going to be a crisis in the United States. We are on the verge of having huge advances in our understanding of cancer and our real ability to treat cancer, and those potential advances are being put in jeopardy or at the very least delayed substantially because of the current federal budget crisis.
0: Right. Right. So this is this is an important issue all around. It's 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 about resources. It's financial resources, human resources. I think about you know, the workforce, um, you know, and some of the issues that we have with workforce shortage and making sure that we continue to, you know, feed our researchers well, if you will, um, intellectually. Um, so thank you, thank you for those comments. I do think they're important. We have got to take a quick commercial break, and when we come back, Dr. Edge, I'd like to start with you um, talking with us more about the, the future of tissue collection as we, as we move um, into you know, 2013, 14, um, and beyond. So, this is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We will be right back after this commercial break.
5: Opinions, Options, Answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness.
0: Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaides, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Communities' Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human healthcare, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process.
3: We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day.
5: Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, and over Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. or call 617-733-5848. Cancer, it's a lonely word, terms I don't understand, choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help.
1: Support from cancer survivors.
5: Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you Break away from Cancer, created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
1: You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community.
0: About cancer. I'm your guest host today, Linda House. I am filling in for Kim Tebeldo. And today I am jo- joined by Dr. Stephen Edge, the immediate past chair of the American College of Surgeons Commission on Cancer, and also Dr. Carl Morrison, executive director of the Center for Personalized Medicine, both joining us from the Roswell Cancer Institute today we're talking about the importance and practical implication of tumor or I'm sorry of tissue collection, as well as giving our listeners information on how they can participate as we learned today, researchers are looking for tissue from everyone, um, all disease types to help advance the, the study and treatment of many diseases and today we're talking specifically about um, cancer. So in our final seg- segment here, dr. Edge, I'd like to talk with you a little bit about what you see as the future of Tissue donation, tissue collection,
2: and research. Well, I think uh, I think that people are recognizing more and more that these efforts are important. Um, there has to be funding for this, as we mentioned earlier. Um, but uh, and the need to um, study individual patients and uh, is, is becoming increasingly important. And in fact, um, collecting high quality tissues is likely to move from being uh, an exercise done purely for research to a key component of clinical care. Uh, Characterizing the uh, genomics of an individual person's tumor may well allow us to truly personalize care, to personalize that in terms of understanding what the outcome is likely to be and Directly targeting specific aspects of their cancer to allow them to have successful treatment. So truly personalizing treatment. So if that's true, then we will have to go from the, from the place we are now where tissue collection in a satisfactory area with rapid uh, saving of the tissue and the ability to, to use it for uh, future studies will go from being a research endeavor to being something that's done f- for everybody and that means that that kind of process will have to extend out into every place where tissues, where surgeries are done and tissues are harvested and that's a big investment and uh, the technologies for that uh, and the um, Operating procedures to achieve that have not yet really been developed, but we're moving rapidly in that direction.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: And so it sounds like there is some level of, or there will, there will need to be some level of portability for tissue samples. You know, if you have somebody who moves from a geography to another geography and being able to take a, take a take another look or um, understand a little bit better of, of of you know what that reading looks like.
3: Well, I, I think you know this is an area that. And this is Dr. Morrison. This is an area where there is both uh, economic and ethical barriers, hurdles, issues to be discussed. That uh, certainly we're we'll not be able to get into them today. But if you if if you look into this legally, mm-hmm. it states that any tissue that's collected from a patient at whoever, whatever institution collects that tissue from a patient, they own that tissue. The patient does not own that tissue. So that is a dilemma that will have to go forward being solved. And, you know, one way to potentially solve that is to offer a service of, you know, biobanking for patients. And I think that we'll see, you know, really progressive hospitals and academic centers doing this within really within the next year or two because uh, what Steve was addressing is that there's a whole lot of new genomic technologies. There's particularly one out there that's called Whole Exomic Sequencing, Mm W-E-S, that will move its way into the clinics or into patient care over the next one to two years. Uh, We can already do the technology. Today we have regulatory barriers and reimbursement barriers by the payers for Moving this into patient care, but once we get over these barriers, some of the next big hurdles are going to be: if you're a cancer patient, the opportunity to collect that tissue may only occur once or twice in your life. Mm-hmm. This, at least for solid tumors, this. Not really true for blood tumors, but for solid tumors, that's, you know, such as the common things like breast cancer, lung cancer, prostate cancer. There's very few opportunities to collect those tissues. And then you were talking about this concept of portability, right? You know, how are we going to manage... you know, I don't anticipate that there'll be patients that have freezers at their house that they keep their tissues in.
4: Right. We have
3: to, we have to find mechanisms and ways to pay for this and to monitor it. But it will create a, a, an undue amount of uh, controversy and problems until it's until it's it's worked out. Hmm.
0: It's very interesting to think that we've evolved to to, to this point. Um, In in such a short period of time, you know, I I don't have a good sense of when we really started to collect and and study tissue in this particular way, but it's been a relatively short period of time.
3: Yes, the technologies have really changed over the last uh, two to three years. The technology that has really brought this forward is probably what creating uh, all of the, us have to address these issues. The technology called next-generation sequencing,
4: mm-hmm.
3: and basically that was why the whole Center for Personalized Medicine at Roswell Park was was formed. Is a you know, it's over a twenty million dollar investment in Roswell Park to develop this technology and bring it into the clinics, and we're right at the verge of doing that right now. And these questions will become paramount at uh, at our institution over the next year, and and this will come down really to between a clinician like Dr. Edge who visits patients every day and explaining what are their options and what they should be doing. And he was referring to earlier about you know developing kits and so forth to help patients manage this problem. And I'll I'll let Dr. Edge comment on that some. You know. Yeah.
2: Well, I, I, this, this is a brave new world. It's re- it's really exciting. We've been talking for twenty years about how we were gonna, cancer was going to be fundamentally changed, and 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 we're really now on the cusp of this. And and there are enormous uh, implications for this. Uh, one of them was argued in front of the Supreme Court of the United States just in the last two days mm-hmm. regarding ownership of breast cancer related genes. Um, uh, some. You know when this was when that was when those were discovered and the testing developed 15 years ago, the technology was only available to uh, test one gene at a time um, and at a cost of thirty five hundred dollars. And
4: mm-hmm.
2: pretty soon, you'll be able to sequence your entire genome for the same price or less. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but the, the the question of the business issues. And ownership of this information was just to argue in front of the Supreme Court, just to show you how, where these arguments are going.
4: Mm -hmm. So,
2: Brave New World, it's going to be really exciting, and it's going to fundamentally change the way cancer is seen by the next generation.
0: Yeah. Well, and to that point, as we start to close the show, one of the things I wanted to make sure that we touched on is the importance of publishing research and research findings. And and the thing that strikes me about the the, the oncology community is um, the the openness in sharing information and what you learn, you know, for the benefit of of everyone. So can you just quickly talk about um, the ways in which you do share your research findings?
3: Well, you know, there's nothing more evident in the sharing of research findings than the fact that the vast majority of all research in our country you know, is published in peer-reviewed journals, and not all of those journals are have open access, or in other words, they're not free to the general public. But for a nominal cost, you can you know you can reach out and to anywhere on the internet and find publications about virtually any topic you want to find it about, and and you can get a copy of that research.
0: That's great and really facilitates the advancement of the field. I want to give each of you, we've got about two minutes left, I want to give each of you um, a chance um, to respond. If there's one thing that you'd like to leave the listeners with, what would that be?
3: Uh, This is Dr. Morrison. For me, uh, I think that the overwhelming thing that has to occur in tissue collection over the next one to two years is that large advocacy groups uh, have to come together and answer these issues like, who owns the tissue? Who should be paying for uh, management, storage of the tissue? Uh, Who has the right to say how we should use the tissue? And these are legal, they're ethical, but these are the topics I think that need to be addressed in a a big way.
2: And I would simply simply echo the same same comments and, again, urge people to... um, I'll provide all the support they can to the scientific community doing this research and, uh, and that means, uh, uh, talking to your congressmen and senators.
0: Great. Thank you. And thank you both for joining us on today's show. We really appreciate you being a part of this very important discussion um, on tissue collection. And I hope that I could have you back or Kim could have you back again sometime um, in the the very near future to to update us on this important topic. Um, I really think we brought a lot of valuable information to the show today for both patients and their families and the general public listening in. Um, Dr. Edge and Dr. Morrison just quickly where can more indiv- where can individuals learn more about your particular program if they have questions
2: uh, www.roswellpark.org it's r o s w e l l p a r k.org www.roswellpark.org
0: Thank you so much, and thank you for joining us. Today, it is Frankly Speaking About Cancer Tissue Collection. It was truly an honor to be your guest host. Kim Tebeldo, the president and CEO of the Cancer Support Community, will be back next week with another valuable episode of this show. As mentioned earlier, the Cancer Support Community provides a multitude of in-person, online, and telephonic support. If you or someone you know is facing a cancer diagnosis, you don't have to do it alone. For more information about our programs, please visit our website at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. You can find a location near you. You can join an online support group, or you can also call our toll-free helpline at 1-888-793-9355 to speak with one of our licensed mental health professionals. Thank you so much. Until the next time, be well, do well, live well.